Welcome to FASD Family Life, the podcast for families by families, where we get real about raising children and youth with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. I am your host, Robbie Seal, FASD educator, advocate, and mom of four children with FASD. I know the struggle is real, but so is success. I hope that sharing my experiences can help you feel that you are not alone and that there is hope for you and your child with FASD. Welcome to the very first FASD Family Life Research and Resource Edition of the podcast. I know it can be a struggle to find resources and research to support you, your family, and your child with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And that's why I've embarked on a new initiative to interview the movers and shakers in the FASD research and resources community. Every Monday, I will drop a research and resource episode to give you information on a variety of FASD networks, resources, training events, and conferences. I will also bring you information on fascinating FASD studies for your participation and your interest. This week, my guest is Chad Bozeman, PhD, Associate Professor at the University of Calgary and Research Lead on a fascinating study on DNA-guided prescribing for children and youth. This study is actively recruiting children and youth who are starting or changing medication for their mental health and may be interested in participating in a pharmacogenic testing through the research program at the University of Calgary. I know pharmacogenic, what the heck is that? Well, Dr. Bozeman will explain that all to us in a moment. I have posted the study link in the show notes, so you can check that out, www.psychpgxlab.com slash projects. But like I said, they'll be dropped in the show notes. So you can click there and see if you're interested in participating in the study. Be sure to catch every episode of FASD Family Life by subscribing to the podcast. And when you subscribe, new episodes will automatically appear in your phone, iPad, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Did you know that when you subscribe to FASD Family Life and when you rate or review an episode, you are helping other parents and caregivers just like you? Yes, your engagement in these ways signals to the algorithms that this podcast is relevant to people who want to know more about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, so uh, I'm an associate professor at the University of Calgary. And um, as you said, I'm also the lead um, investigator on this project, uh, which we call PGX Spark, uh, which stands for Pharmacogenomic um, supported prescribing for kids or genotype guided prescribing uh, for kids um, would be a bit easier to. Okay, fantastic. So genotype guided prescribing for kids. Can you help me understand what's the goal of the study? Let's go there. What's the goal of the study, Chad? Yeah, well, we know that um, many children that are prescribed uh, medications for mental health, um, it often doesn't work well for them. So up to about half uh, don't respond or have adverse drug reactions. Um, and that has a lot to do with the fact that current prescribing practices are more or less a trial and error um, kind of process. And so we're trying to reduce that trial and error. We don't know if we, we can't really eliminate it necessarily, but if we can reduce it, we feel that that would be a, a great improvement. Um, and so one of the objectives of this study is to measure whether or not if we apply a genotype-guided prescribing approach, can we reduce the, um, I guess, the burden on families and children uh, related to prescribing medication? So what I mean by burden is uh, 
better outcomes, so symptom severity reduced, um, as well as uh, side effects going down. Um, and then hopefully that will lead to um, less uh, visits to the, the physician, the emergency room, um, and just more or less less use of the healthcare system, which is a, a win for everybody. Right. And you talked about how children and adolescents who are under the care of a physician or psychiatrist for their mental health, often the, the child themselves and their parents have to go through a lot of trial and error, uh, along with the physician and error, to find the right meds that will work. And there are some really severe outcomes. Some meds might bring out more aggression or loss of appetite or poor sleep or any any number of things. And that is a burden for families, you know, because by the time we are looking for help from a pharmaceutical perspective, we're often pretty desperate. What's involved in this genotype guided prescribing? What would a family do if they were interested in this? Yeah, so I mean, the first step is, uh, of course, speaking to your physician or speaking to the child's doctor and seeing if this is, you know, a good option for them. Um, And if, if the doctor or physician is on board, um, and then it's just a referral to us. Um, this participating in the study is actually quite simple. Uh, so there's no, no blood draws or anything like that. It's a simple, we mail out a, um, a, a small kit that has a, a little tube that um, the child spits into. Um, so we you know, spit for science kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you send that back to us and that that's that saliva that is in that tube we use um, to do the genotyping uh, and then also we will send out through uh, an email that you give us uh, some surveys to complete um, and we do that on a monthly basis up till six months um, and that's just so we can see how well um, it works um, over time um, but other than that that's really that's really all that's involved. And of course you get a copy of the results of the, the, the final results of the, the genotyping along with the physician gets that as well. Um, so we're very clear about transparency. We want everybody to have their own results. It's, it's their data. They should have access to it. Um, we do present the results in a bit of a different format for physicians versus um, families and children um, but you have access to both, really. Um, but it, it, it's just to uh, help with the interpretation of those results. Okay. So once you've been able to sequence the genotype, um, then are you able to identify like which SSRI would work or that an SSRI would not work at all? Or how, how does that work? Yeah, so this is um, something that we uh, we try to be very clear about, um, about setting expectations appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is something that could be um, difficult to grasp. Uh, so one of the things is we, we want to be clear about is that the testing will will unlikely tell you exactly which medication is going to work for a particular person. Um, what we're really, at the current state of the science and the evidence, what we're better at telling you is which medications will probably not be a good, good match with you. Um, and what we know is that some people metabolize um, medications really fast. Uh, and so those people often will require a higher dose of that medication. But there's other times people rec- uh, metabolize a drug too slowly. Um, and if they, if they were given the, the standard dose, it can build up in their body and that can cause what we usually see as side effects in one way or another. Okay. And so they usually need a lower dose or maybe just an alternative medication. 
And so based on the testing that we do, we're able to determine um, not only which medication may be, uh, which medications may not be a good match, um, but the ones that are um, maybe a good match helping with the dosing of those medications. Um, but again, this is one component of a full um, mirage of things that needs to be looked at before um, a, a physician can make a decision. So this does not replace um, any other uh, tools that a physician may use or information that they may use to make a, a prescribing decision. I understand. So it's it's one more lens a, a physician can look through, one more piece of the puzzle as they're trying, as a physician is trying to determine based on presenting behaviors, based on diagnostics, uh, which be, which medications may help this individual and of what dosage. This is one component, not the component. It won't com- replace anything other than maybe at least avoid some trying some medications that we can predictably say won't work. What, diagn- what dose might be helpful? Yeah. And I, I think the key thing is, is when we use the word will or will not work, that's where we have, that's where this study hopefully will help as well is we're still uh, kind of at the infant stages of this field. Um, and so what we know is we're, we know how people process these drugs pretty well. But if you process the drug, you're normally processing the drug. Sometimes it still doesn't work. Uh, and that's because there's other mechanisms once it gets, in our case, because we're talking about mental health, once the drug gets to the brain, um, it's a little bit of an enigma what mm-hmm. happens there. Um, so the genetic testing that we do doesn't really look at what happens in the brain. It's more about what's happening in the liver and how your body's processing that medication. So it's more about a safety uh, mechanism more than whether or not it's going to work, uh, like what we call efficacy. So the effectiveness of a drug is still a bit tricky sometimes, although it does have to do with the dose. So we can help with that. Um, But even if we get it all right, sometimes it still doesn't work, unfortunately. Maybe that's why we call it the practice of medicine. Yeah, <laughs> or the art of medicine. The art rather than science. Yeah. Chad, you said this research is in Alberta, mm-hmm. Canada only. Um, why don't you talk to us about the funding behind it? Yeah, so um, this study is funded by Albertans, basically. Uh, generous donors um, that are Albertans that have donated to the Alberta Children's Research Foundation, um, which have then uh, provided funding uh, to my to my lab for us to, to conduct this study. Um, and over the next, it's a five-year project. Um, and we are funded to, our, our recruitment goal is, is to get to 6,000 kids in that, in that five, um, five years. Um, of course, COVID uh, has caused us some challenges with that. Um, but we still are, are on pace at the moment to meet that goal. Um, we'll see how things go forward. Um, but the point here is that we, ha- we have, um, we've only in our first year, so we still have four more years. So we have m- much more time to um, uh, hopefully provide impact to many more families and children. Well, that's good news. So we're not running out of time. No. Good. We often learn about new studies or new treatments through other parents. And that's where I heard about the study on, I think it was Facebook. So I contacted you, Chad, to see all about it. And I was like feeling desperate if I missed the window. <laughs> but you're saying the window is, has just been opened just in January this year. So we still have more than four years. We can participate in the study. We need to get in touch with our primary care physician to get the referral to your clinic. I will pour a link to the study in the show notes so people can find you. And again, um, 
while I recognize my listenership is worldwide, this study is particular of interest for families living in Alberta. So if you listener know of anybody in Alberta, yourself and other people who whose children struggle with mental health or are receiving treatment for mental health, please let them know about this study. And so the goal is 6,000 kids. That's amazing. And Chad, are you looking for any particular demographic of patient? Like, are you diagnostically specific or how does that work for you for this particular study? Yeah. So the the purpose of the reason why we went with 6,000 is because we wanted to be as inclusive as possible. Um, And so we're diagnostic agnostic, as I like to say, is we do not um, recruit based on any diagnosis. There's only a few inclusion criteria. One is that um, the child is about to begin or being or switching a mental health medication. Um, and number two, that the treating physician is on board, is willing to refer to the study. If those two um, inclusion criteria are met, then we go forward with uh, recruitment. And we don't have very many exclusion criteria either. The only exclusion criteria that we have is that uh, children that have received um, bone marrow transplants, um, we're not able to uh, recruit them only because the results, the genetic results may not match with what we're predicting because of the bone marrow transplant. I know that's a very few number of children, but um, there are children with those out there. So just as a note, that's really the only thing we exclude for. So we really are trying to be as inclusive as possible um, in, in all senses of the word inclusive. Yeah, sounds wonderful. So the inclusion criteria are the child or youth, they are beginning to receive treatment for mental health, or they are at the stage of changing medications for their mental health. And what's the age range? Uh, So six to 17. And and that's just because even though we know that children under the age of six do receive medications occasionally, um, a current Health Canada DA kind of approvals for medications are in that six to 17 range. And so we're, we're kind of staying within those guidelines. Um, okay. It's not that we have anything against anyone under six. Um, it's just more of a safety um, inclusion in that sense. Okay. Well, and even if, let's say, it is a five-year-old who's receiving treatment at this point, your study is open for five years. Correct. So yeah. there's still room to come on board. How are you spreading the word of this study? Yeah, it's actually been interesting. We we originally started off with a few clinics in Alberta, kind of high um, throughput kind of clinics that had, had lots of children um, and kind of did our marketing through them. Um, but since then, we haven't had to do much. Uh, it's been word of mouth, like you said, both through uh, families, but also physicians. So physicians talk to physicians, believe it or not. Uh, and <laughs> they And they spread the word that way as well. So um, it's really kind of been an effortless uh, recruitment, which is really, to me, uh, floors me every time I think about it, because every other project I've ever done, uh, we spend a lot of effort uh, getting recruitment. And in this case, uh, we haven't had to do that. Uh, even with COVID, we still have been able to meet our recruitment uh, milestones at, up to this point. Yeah, it's been great. And and obviously just talking uh, with people like yourself and, and getting out there and, and, and making it known. Um, but yeah, we, we really haven't, um, we don't have a, uh, a marketing strategy at this point because it's not necessary at this yet. I guess that really speaks to the need too for children's mental health and to, to improve the practices. I mean, we have good practices, but to even improve the efficacy of the practices that we're doing with children and youth mental health. And so obviously physicians are interested 
families are desperate. So I love that, that here you are leading this team. What are the primary outcomes you're looking for in this study? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I mentioned a little bit at the beginning, but I think the the main thing is we want to see that the child's wellness is improved. Um, and we're measuring that in a number of different ways. We have quality of life measurement as a kind of more of a global uh, kind of measure, but we also have symptom severity. Um, and now since we don't have a specific diagnosis uh, criteria, this means different things for different uh, children. Uh, and so we have measures that go from depression, anxiety, uh, we run the whole gamut of things that uh, would mean symptom severity. And we're, we want to see trends going in the down, right? We want, we want those symptoms to go down. Um, and I also said we, we're also very much interested into hopefully reducing or eliminating side effects from medications that are used after we provide the testing. Hopefully we can avoid some of those, which are usually avoidable. Um, if this information is available. And then finally, of course, we want to show um, to uh, policymakers and healthcare providers that this is actually a, a cost-effective intervention, that this isn't just um, important to the families and the children, but this is important to our healthcare um, in general, and it can save money. Um, and some of that money that's saved could be used for other things. Um, and so the cost of testing is actually quite low and the idea is that you only need to do this testing once in a lifetime. Your genes don't change. Uh, your medications may change, but your genes don't. So this information can continually be used over and over and over throughout someone's lifetime. Um, and so that's the, the real beauty of this intervention is it's kind of the test that keeps giving. Um, yeah. And that's why I think it has great potential to be cost effective. Yeah. I mean, there's so many applications for a test like this, you know, first of I love that we're starting with children's mental health because that's such a difficult area already to understand, but we're starting there. But we know that, you know, we all, as we progress in life, there's other illnesses or challenges or not just mental health, but physical health that come along the way. And even having this relatively inexpensive test on board and in our files already will be helpful and informative to physicians along the way who are guiding our medical care. So I think that's pretty fascinating. Well, thank you very much, Chad. Any other final closing thoughts you would like to leave with families? If you're interested in the study, I, I encourage you to reach out to us. Um, we're going to have uh, we'll supply the contact information for that. Um, and yeah, I, I wish everyone well. Thank you very much. I know that I want to participate participate in the study for my three, and we still have a window. They're 14, 17, and 17, so oh, we're right in there. could be very interesting for them. So I thank you for doing this study and that it is such a broad range of individuals that you're trying to serve, and I think it's really important work. So thank you so very much, and I look forward to speaking with you soon. Well, wasn't that a great conversation with Chad Bozeman of the University of Calgary and a fascinating study at, at another tool that may help our physicians prescribe more accurately medications for our children to support their mental health. FASD Family Life Podcast is here for you. Yep, it's the podcast for families by families raising children and youth with FASD. I hope that by sharing my experiences and my FASD education with you, you will feel connected to someone who knows what you're going through. And I can offer a little education, encouragement, and empowerment to you as you raise your kids with FASD. Also, you can buy me a coffee to support the work of FASD Family Life, and you can see the link in the show notes for that as well. If you found this episode on Facebook or LinkedIn, 
please drop a comment in the comment section and I would appreciate it if you would leave a five-star rating and a review wherever you do get your podcasts. See, your engagement in these ways helps others find FASD Family Life. I would also love to hear from you. Do you have a question that you would like me to address on the show? An idea for a topic? Or what's your biggest struggle? Email the show at fasdfamilylife at gmail.com or message me on Facebook. I will do my best to address it via email and on the show so we can all learn and grow together. As always, thank you so much for sharing your time with me. I know it's precious. Until next week, remember, the struggle is real, but so is success. I'll talk with you soon.